What's up, everybody? Welcome to Tell Me More Life Church Livonia's podcast. We are so glad. Yeah, so we are so glad that you're tuning in. My name's Kate, and I'm here with my pal. Alex. Alex. So here on Tell Me More, we like to dive into the scripture and the sermon from the weekend before, or picking a topic and diving into it if we didn't have time to talk about it during our weekend service. And the reason why we do that is because we believe that the the faith walk that we have, the relationship that we have with Jesus, discipleship, it's about the journey. It's about the conversations that are happening in between uh, the messages and um, our small groups. And those are the places where we really dive into our relationship with God. And so here today, we're going to be diving into Matthew 1, where this past weekend, Alex did a phenomenal job talking about uh, Matthew 1. And so we're going to unpack some of that today. We've got a few questions. Alex, are you ready? Are you ready I'm to jump so in here? ready. Oh, fantastic. So you <laughs> said during the sermon, you were talking about um, the genealogy and the history yes. and that you had all this really great stuff and yes. you preached it at Amber and she was like, that's boring yeah it's like yeah yeah, amber i feel you it's like pavlov's dog with her as soon as i say something like the maccabees it's like you know she she shuts off she's just falls off not interesting like no thanks i don't want to i don't want to do that i I wish i wish i had um some kind of like like thing i could write on like and it shows up on the screen um Mm -hmm. but i don't so <laughs> I try to just be visual. But what I was trying to do in the sermon was simply communicate. Uh, often we focus on the baby born into the manger, but not the world that baby was born into. Right. And that the context historically that Jesus was born into, we think we have it bad right now in, in world mm. history. We act I think quite victimized by our current reality. And there are scary things happening for sure. I'm not minimizing that. I'm just saying that we can have oh a chronological arrogance to think that our mm-hmm. problems are worse and harder uh, right. than any other time in world history. We can also think that we're smarter and better than people in the past world history. <laughs> that's, that's a different yeah, that's- thing. Yeah. So I wanted to, I was wanting to walk through, there's some big rocks that if you've been in the church at all, you've heard about in the Bible. And I wanted to take those and start there and kind of fill in the gaps of like, how did we get from there to the first Christmas? And so going way, way back, most people. Which I'm really excited about. I'm I'm excited about, um, because I think that you have a love for history that helps. Yeah. I know that for myself, history, I'm very similar to Amber. I like shut down for sure. So for those of you who are listening, stay, stay engaged. Try really hard because Alex loves, Alex loves history. And if I've learned anything in school is that if the teacher is passionate about the subject, it makes it way more interesting. So stay plugged in, you guys. We can yeah. do this together. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Alex. Don't, don't Take us away. Tell out. us, tell so, us about the so here's history what happened. of Israel. Here's what happened. Yeah. So you okay, get you get Abraham in Genesis, right? God makes his promise to Abraham. I'm going to make you the father of his great nation. And he promises Abraham a land, which we call the promised land, right? Tracking with me. People of Israel going Tracking. to slavery. Tracking. People of Israel going to slavery for 400 years in Egypt. 
And Moses leads them out. A lot of people have seen the Prince of Egypt splitting of the Red Sea. Deliver us, right? You know, and then (laughs) the people walk through the Red Sea and eventually inherit the promised land. When they get into the promised land, they um, really kind of screw up for a long time. (laughs) And eventually decide. As humans usually do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the book of Joshua where Israel's really living into God's plan. They take the promised land. God's promises are coming true in their lives. And then there's the book of Judges where for generations, they just kind of do what they want and they abandon um, God and and, uh, their relationship with God becomes more of a cultural norm than an actual relationship. And that causes them to sin and really script their nation for a long time. Fast forward to um, end of the, the book of Judges, we get First and Second Samuel. They decide, hey, you know what would really make our situation better? A king. And so they um, call Saul to be the first king of Israel. Saul ends up being super bad, super jealous. He tries to follow God, but he's got all this emotional dysfunction. David rises up after, and it's kind of Israel's golden age. And then from David, for the rest of the genealogy of Israel, there's a few good kings and mostly bad kings. And the people just uh, sin generation after generation after generation. And God sends prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to tell the nation, listen, you're living in sin, and these are the consequences of that. And the consequence that they keep prophesying is if they don't repent, God is going to send a nation to kick them out of the promised land. Inevitably, eventually, that's what happens. And this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, comes and takes over the promised land. And actually, it's that's a broad brush stroke because right two generations after David, David's grandson ends up splitting the kingdom of Israel in two because he tries to be... Um, power hungry and non-compassionate and half of the basically there's 12 tribes that make up the nation of israel 11 yeah. of them say nope not our king anymore hashtag not my king <laughs> <laughs> and they they peace out and they start their own nation called israel the nation that's left over is called judah which is where we mm-hmm. get the phrase the jews right the, the, we call yeah. we call the hebrews the hebrews is the name of all 12 tribes The Jews is slang for Judah. And the reason we call all Hebrew people now the Jews is because a couple of generations before Israel was even more sinful than Judah, Israel gets taken over by a a country called Assyria. So you've heard of like Jonah and the Ninevites, right? Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So the Ninevites end up taking over um, the promised land, all except for Judah. And Judah lasts a couple generations longer, but eventually this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes and takes it over. When that happens, he destroys the temple, which since the time of David was like the sign of God's presence with the people. So after that, um, there's hundreds of years of, of history that happened between that and the New Testament. And there's some books of the Bible that happen while they're in exile in Babylon. So um, Esther happens during that time. She gets married to the king of Persia, who ends up taking over Babylon. Daniel happens at that time. And Daniel actually lives in the transition. This is wild. Daniel's life was crazy because Daniel was a kid. He was a young man when Israel got taken over by Babylon. 
He gets shipped mm-hmm. off to Babylon. He takes an aptitude test, basically, and they determine this guy's really smart. We're going to try to train him to be totally our culture, completely erases Jewishness and make him Babylonian. And then we're going to use that brain to help govern our country. Wow, it's fascinating. Yeah. So that happens to Daniel. Yeah. And Daniel actually works really hard not to lose his Jewishness or his religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but in his lifetime, while he's in government, his, that kingdom of Babylon gets taken over by another kingdom named Persia. And so Daniel ends up starting his life in um, Israel, unconquered Israel. Then he mm-hmm. gets moved to Babylon and works in government. And then that kingdom gets taken over and he gets moved to Persia and works in government. And that's when oh the lion's den thing happens. Yeah. So, and then, and this is the other sucky part about Daniel's life. <laughs> Under under, yeah, under Nebuchadnezzar, poor guy. <laughs> under Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the blazing furnace and don't die. And then under yeah. Persia, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. So there's like all this persecution against his faith in both regimes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, some other ones that happen at that time: Ezra and Nehemiah are a part of that mix. Um, anyway, long story short, after the exile. There's this succession in world history of people conquering each other's nations. So Babylon, at the time it conquers Israel, conquers a lot of the known world. But then Persia comes in and conquers even more of the known world. And Persia Mm -hmm. takes over Greece and the Battle of Thermopylae, the Battle of 300. That happens while Persia is taking over the world. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. So Persia, this is like all kind of that time in human history. Persia takes over more of the known world. And then Alexander the Great comes along. Alexander the Great conquers Persia and becomes the new world power. But if you know anything about Alexander the Great's life, you know that uh, his reign didn't last very long. And it, he, he, when he died, it all fell apart and it split into multiple kingdoms. And mm-hmm. so you have like the Macedonian Empire is a part of that. There's this other empire called the Seleucid Empire. And when we talk about like Greek culture uh, and like the Greek gods, it's that these kingdoms that are making that mythology that are, yeah. you know, that that's, this is that they're, time. Because they're looking for answers. They're trying to rationalize. They're trying to understand and yeah. have a faith. And, and yeah. part of that too is because of the level to which they had conquered the known world, this was like, one of the first times in Western Asia and in um, parts of Europe, people aren't just surviving. Like they have Mm -hmm. their needs met enough. They can think about why they're living, not just trying to survive in life. Um, And so that's where you get like, you know, Plato and Aristotle and all these like great Greek thinkers are coming, uh, coming out with their theories on life, their philosophies on life in this time period. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, the Seleucid Empire that comes to power after Alexander the Great dies um, is ruled by a couple different people, but one, it basically becomes an arms race between the Roman Empire, the Seleucid Empire, the Macedonian Empire, and one other I can't remember. And they're basically all trying to take over each other because they want to, like Alexander did, rule the world. Right. And so uh, this guy... um, named it's not antipas it's uh oh my gosh i can't remember his name off the top of my head but just and look I for up, sure don't know look up is. look up um <laughs> he's the villain of hanukkah mm-hmm. look up whoever the villain of hanukkah is his name starts with an a there's a cuss in it i can't remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just look it up keep going i'll Thank look you. it up so this guy is trying to take over the known world 
And um, in order to secure the entrance to Africa, he tries to take over Egypt. And uh, on his way to Egypt, which he's pretty positive he can conquer, he gets a message from Rome that said, Egypt's our ally. If you attack them, you're toast. We're going to win and we're going to take you out. And he knows this to be true. He knows he can't beat Rome, which is why he was trying to conquer Egypt. And so uh, he gets super butthurt, throws a hissy fit, mm-hmm. and on his way back home, decides to take out his anger by just like desecrating. Yes, Antiochus. Oh, Antiochus the fourth. I knew there was a cuss in there. There you go. With an A. Antiochus. <laughs> so um, Antiochus the fourth. Um, he basically gets real butthurt that he can't take over Egypt, throws his mm-hmm. hissy fit, on the way back home, decides to kick the dog by desecrating the Temple of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Because he he doesn't have power over Egypt, but at least he has power over these people. And um, he sacrifices a pig, which is not kosher, according to the Jewish yeah, law, right? on the altar of God, which, you know, makes that... That's now quite it, offensive. Now that it is makes quite offensive. It makes the very place where God's presence dwells unclean, mm-hmm. right? To the Jewish people. And so they lose their marbles. Oof. And they start a revolt. This family called the Maccabees basically says, like, okay, that's it. Game on. Enough is enough. And they start this revolt and they win. Mm. And they win their freedom. And so from the time of the Maccabees to the time um, of Jesus is about like 103 years. Mm-hmm. And so imagine you know, you're, you're a Jewish person living in oppression under multiple governments, right? right? And you know the stories of uh, your history of God promising the promised land to Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know... Uh, also, the stories of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and these people who are persecuted for their faith, and Esther, and you know the story of Haman who tried to commit mm-hmm. genocide against all of your people because yep. you know you were a foreigner in his land, mm-hmm. and so all of that is like palpable. And then um, these people who have been governing you, and and under Persia, Persia gave uh, Ezra and Nehemiah the, this allowance that they could go back and rebuild the temple Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed, and they could yeah. go back and rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem and basically be under Persian rule, but still operate as Jews. Okay. And um, so the Jewish they gave people, a little. They were trying to give a little. Right. Yeah. So the Jewish people, and that was kind of how Alexander the Great and that whole group did it often, is they would put themselves in military governance over nations, but they didn't want to necessarily control the details of every nation Mm -hmm. so they would have a vassal king so like somebody who would report to and be accountable to rome but be in charge of and really king of like a country so that that person is the one doing all the governmental stuff but they're just accountable to rome that way rome doesn't have to manage which if rome is getting their piece of the pie they don't really care what's going on is basically what that sounds like right right tracking i'm tracking and so um, all this has been happening, but now the game changes. And instead of allowing the Jews to just be Jews, this guy re- gives the biggest middle finger he can to the Jewish people by desecrating the temple. They flip out the Maccabees revolt and they win. So imagine being a Jew where for hundreds of years, you guys have been in captivity because of your sin. And mm-hmm. you know that. 
And now all of a sudden, the promised land is yours again, and you are free as a people to govern it once again. This, it felt like, like the return of Moses or something, right? It right. just was like, oh my gosh, God is with us. Mm-hmm. And his promises to us that we've heard about that some of us even started to think were fairy tales look like they're coming true in our lifetime. Yeah, that's awesome. It's awesome. So cool. <laughs> but but in a generation or two, there becomes a struggle for power amongst the children of the Maccabees. And um, in that struggle for power, a guy named Antipas, who had been working in Jewish government, but was very kind of power hungry and greedy. And so mm-hmm. he had also been working on the side currying Roman favor. He sees his opportunity. And so he makes this deal with Rome. If you make me king of Jerusalem and of the Jews, then I will be one of your vassal states. Like, we'll surrender to you. We Hmm. won't fight you um, as long as you militarily back me to be in charge. And so he essentially sells the Jewish people less than 100 years later back into a slavery. Ah. Yeah. And Herod the Great, uh, who's king when Jesus is born and kills all the babies, Mm -hmm. that's Antipas's son. Oh, my gosh. And so Herod becomes the first generation uh, king of this newly captive Israel. And so when Joseph is um, like a teenager, his parents and grandparents like remember being free. Oh, wow. Right. And his great grandparents would have been could have fought in the Maccabean revolt. Mm -hmm. This is like so fresh. And um, so they when Jesus is born are mourning that it looks like God has abandoned them again. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it, and it definitely looks like it. It right. definitely looks like it. Right. And so this is all, and then you have like Matthew, the tax collector, because Jesus is only a generation after this. So Jesus is second generation captivity in the Roman mm-hmm. empire. Yeah. Um, and so you have people already by Jesus's time, like Matthew, the tax collector, who are Jewish people who have just said, okay, well, if you can't beat him, join him. Join him. Yeah. Right. And people have just totally sold out. And then Herod, in order to curry favor from the Jews, knowing that the temple itself is what started the revolt last time, in order to prevent a new revolt, pours a ton of money into the temple in order yeah. to make the Jews not so ticked that he Complacent. just... Complacent. Like, to, to be like, oh, look, we are being right. taken care of. Right. Like, which right. leads to some complacency. Right. And so when Jesus starts flipping um, tables over in the temple, the reason he's doing that is because Herod didn't just make improvements to the temple, he made additions. Mm. And one of those additions is uh, this temple exchange court where you can only pay for temple things in temple cash. And the exchange rate is unfair. Mm-hmm. So poor people and are, who are looking for God um, are either going bankrupt or are unable to worship God. Yeah. And um, it just is this extortion system on the Jewish religion, um, this temple tax. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Jesus, that's not a part of the temple. That's, that's Herod's addition to the temple. And he loses his cool over that. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So that's the history, like all leading up to that's the background, the cultural background. So when Jesus is born, um, that's what's been going on. That's what's been going on. That's what everybody has been experiencing and um, learning about. And uh, that's their history. Right. And not far away history, 
recent. So fresh, right? So fresh. And it would be like, yeah. And so the analogy I gave was like, imagine uh, your kids growing up under Chinese rule and like Ted Cruz had sold us to China or something like that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it would be like that. It would be Uh, that kind of thing where you just like, but then, you know, not to pick on Ted or anything is just a well-known, you know, governmental official. That's not sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, and then like Ted to not piss off the Christians, just, uh, poured a bunch of money into churches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's doling out church. Yes. Money. Yes. Yeah. Makes like a government allowance for churches. That's like, wow, can you believe it? It's like easier than ever to be. And a church. some churches would just be like, wow, that's great. Yeah. Right. Like, man, right. we need a new carpet and new chairs and right. new roof. And right. you know, this will help it. So we don't close our doors. And right. It's been right. really difficult. And right. So. And so that's, that's what's happening when Jesus is born. And, um, you know, that's the, the perspective I wanted to draw on in um in the sermon which brings us to the genealogy but basically what i wanted to show is like this all this garbage is happening and it's way harder than what we're going through right now mm-hmm. um, and yet god is on the move working in ways they can't even begin to understand because they just think like oh my gosh we lost our freedom not understanding that this baby born in a manger is about to free them from sin you know right and, yeah it's pretty amazing so the the genealogy <clears throat> turn turn that up turn to turn it up is the next piece and one one note about this genealogy by the way um this genealogy is missing generations because its purpose isn't to show every person before Jesus so for example you'll see that it goes um from Judah to Perez to Ram to Amminadab we know after Judah's life, there were 400 years of um, slavery and people were not living to 100, right? So, right, right, right. So yeah. you know that from Perez, Hezron, Aminadab, Nation, Salmon, that even those five generations is not 400 years before Boaz and Ruth, mm-hmm. right? So there are generations that are not included in this and whether that's because they don't have those records um, there are some, and I checked it with First and Second Chronicles. There's some people they do have that just are not uh, mentioned, which tells me that the point of this genealogy is not to be exhaustive; it's to be illustrative. That Matthew is not trying to um, be empirical; he's trying to be symbolic. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Rather than show every nitty gritty detail, he's trying to show a theme. Yeah. It, and so the theme that he's showing, like I went which, over, which which is um, fundamental. It's uh, I don't know the right word for it. Which is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. Yes. In, in general, is that we're not doing every single little detail. It's, right. Um, because it was such an oral tradition for passing along historical information and data. It was like let's just talk about the big picture. Let's just get this theme. Uh, understood yeah and i think it's even deeper than that in uh, the world of the scientific method we find meaning in fact right whatever the facts are about gravity or the solar system Mm -hmm. or physics like this is where we find as a people meaning and truth yeah and um in many other cultures uh, throughout history uh empiricism and fact were not the source of meaning 
mm. that that um, symbolism and themes were the source of meaning. And so for the Jewish people, uh, that's true. So often when they're communicating meaning and truth, they're doing it through symbol, through analogy. I mean, just think of the Psalms, right? They're doing it through symbol, through analogy, through poetry. Um, they're rarely doing it through um, A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. And so this is a fundamental under difference in understanding because the fault of the scientific method is it is um, bound to specificity, right? Like you, you, you have to be um, incredibly specific. There's one right answer at the end of the math problem, mm-hmm. right? right? And that yeah. one right answer isn't a symbol for anything else. It can't be translated to another situation. It's just these variables exclusively create this one answer. It's not these right. kinds of situations create this type of solution, right? That there's yeah. Yeah. It's so specific. So um, that's not their understanding. So when we read this, we have to understand where they lack empirically, that's not a problem to them in the way it is to us. Mm-hmm. You know, where we go like, oh, you're missing generations. This is a lie. It's not true. They would go, um, yeah, it is true. It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> right. that's not right. what we're trying to communicate. Yeah. Um, hmm. yeah, so I went through some I wonder, of these. I wonder, yeah, go ahead. Just no, you, you keep, you ask a question. Well, I just, I wonder about that for us as a people in regards to scripture and how we read it and understand it and, you know, uh, implement it in our lives and grasp hold of truths and the struggles that people have today in their walk with the Lord. And, you know, even just understanding scripture, wanting uh, Mm -hmm. to have more empirical evidence. And Mm -hmm. I just think that's really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So maybe sad maybe yeah um fear like there's a lot of sad and fear about you know scripture and and mm-hmm. wanting to have a full and whole picture and like this is logical and makes sense and is all the information that i need to know and so and, and here's here's the yeah and here's the fault in that we live in an environment where um you have to prove yourself and understanding before mm-hmm. we begin to apply it. And then if we apply it in multiple situations and it's consistent, then we say it's true. That's the scientific right. way of doing things. Yeah. But what is. God, what Jesus invites us into is not a science is, is not a research project. It's a marriage, mm-hmm. meaning there's a commitment that has to come before the experiences that then you will understand later. Sure. Right. Yeah. That yeah. like there's this commitment. And, the, and you don't get the experience of marriage without this commitment. Yeah. That has to come first. And then that opens the door to these intimate moments and experiences mm-hmm. that then later, after you've experienced them, you have some understanding of this deeper understanding of yourself, this understanding of the world, this, you know, that this wisdom comes through living, not vice versa. Yeah. And um, it's, we, we the, the way of Jesus is commitment, follow me. Come do the walk, mm-hmm. experience, understanding. And then the scientific method goes understanding, experience, commitment. Right. And uh, it's just um, so many of our issues, I think, with the Bible is we're trying to force it to prove itself to us in that order rather than 
um, accepting the invitation to come follow me, experience God, and then understand some things later. Right. So anyway. Yeah, that's okay. Great. Interesting. Thank you. Appreciate that. Side sidebar. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, we don't have much longer, but I, I talked a little bit about Abraham and I, I um, talked about, I didn't talk about mm-hmm. Isaac. I talked about Jacob and Judah though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Um, that was an incredibly scandalous thing. Mm-hmm. He, um, his son marries a woman named this woman, Tamar. His son dies. According to Jewish law, it's his brother's job to get his um, brother's wife pregnant so that his brother has an heir and doesn't lose inheritance. Mm-hmm. Um, because basically you're setting them up for poverty if you don't do that. Right. If 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 dad was going to give brother one, uh, say there's three brothers, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to give brother one two thirds of his uh, all of his belongings, and then brothers two and three split one third. If brother one dies and has no kids, uh, now the his wife and family like don't get that inheritance and basically right. die in poverty, and the line dies out. So mm-hmm. there, there's it was kind of like a welfare rule. Anyway, long story short. Uh, brother one dies, brother two decides I'm not going to get her pregnant, but I'm just going to have sex mm-hmm. with her. And Correct. God, God kills brother two <laughs> over yep. that. Cause so he sees now... that as, <laughs> yeah. And so Tamar or Jake, yeah. Judah goes, yeah, brother three's he's too young. You can't marry him yet. I'll, I'll tell, I'll let him, I'll let you marry him when you're older, when he's older. And she goes, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Judah doesn't do that. Tamar goes, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous. So she dresses up as a prostitute. He approaches her. She doesn't even try to seduce him. He approaches her mm-hmm. and says, dang, girl, come on. You know, let's do the thing. Mm-hmm. They do. She gets pregnant. And and uh, God chooses that to be the lineage of Jesus. Again, it's, yeah. again, it's not the empirical A plus B stuff that Matthew's trying to point out here. It's the symbolism of this. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the legacy. It's like, this is, this is the people I've chosen and right. see, look at, and, and this is the kind of God God is. Right. He, he chooses right. the worst uh, situations and brings redemption out of that. So much redemption so all much. throughout this genealogy. There's redemption yep. just blanketed over it. And then God, Ray, I love, I love God. Oh, he, so awesome. good. So good. And then Rahab here in verse five, the only Rahab, again, because there's genealogy um, pieces missing, it's hard to s- tell for sure, but it's likely this is the same Rahab who was also a prostitute who um, helped the Israelites take over Jericho. Mm-hmm. And yep. so it's commonly believed that that uh, there's two prostitutes basically in Jesus's genealogy, which is scandalous, which, which is, is scandalous. so scandalous. It's also scandalous just to include women in the genealogy at all. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we see, we see him doing that too. And then, so, so, um, Salmon and this prostitute Rahab have Boaz who becomes um, the father of Jesse, the, who's the father of David. And he has Boaz through Ruth, who's not even a Jew. She's um, a Moabite woman, which was a neighboring country that Israel often had conflict with. Um, and so this Moabite woman, the, the, the book of Ruth is all about her life. So you can read all about mm-hmm. it. It's four chapters. Yeah, you can do it. Everybody. You can do it. So um, Ruth is included in the genealogy. And again, it's just this, it's this, um, 
It's this hinting at the gospel, right? That God includes prostitutes, liars, cheaters. Judas sold his brother into slavery. Um, Rahab was a prostitute. He includes foreigners, widows into this new, he is literally giving us an outline of the family of God by showing us the family of Jesus. And it's so, so cool. Yeah, it's just beautiful. And then, I, yeah, Jesse, we didn't even get to talk about. Jesse, there seems to be some kind of daddy issue going on there because uh, when Samuel comes to anoint Jesse's kids to discern who, who's going to be the new king of Israel, um, David's not there. He's taking care of the sheep. And when um, Samuel has to ask, like, don't you have any other kids? And Jesse <laughs> like, goes, oh, well, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess, guess I do. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like a little orphan Annie kind of yeah, vibe, yeah. right? Like that there's what's going on here. You know, what, what, uh, what, is there a beef here? So we don't ever get a lot of explanation about that, but some kind of family tension. Yeah. I'm, I talked about Solomon. Mm-hmm. Um, who Solomon had over nine, he had almost a thousand wives. That means if he slept with a different wife every day, it would take him over three years just to like <laughs> sleep with them all. Uh, Which is just insanity. Yeah. Crazy. Insanity. Not good. <laughs> so, seems, but he's, very, seems like it would be very complicated overall. <laughs> But he's included in Jesus's genealogy and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, is specifically quoted as in Jesus's genealogy. David had a lot of other wives and uh, there were a lot better, um, more honorable situations Jesus could have come from. But God chose yeah. this, this adulterous affair with Uriah's wife to be the one that mm-hmm. birthed Jesus. Uh, and then well, Rehoboam- I would I would probably reframe that because I don't think... Uh, I think that as a man in leadership and authority, that it was more of, you know, misuse of his. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't mean that she, she, uh, it was against her will for sure. Okay, great. (laughs) I just wanted clarity there. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not like, right. No, she wasn't necessarily participating willfully. She was like, well, this is my leader. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't say that's a, it's just such an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. We know that she came, we know that she slept with him, but the Bible doesn't say anything about uh, her feelings about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, I'll, I'd, I'll be so interested to know in paradise. I know me too. So many, um, so many. And then, um, man, I had like a whole list in my sermon that I was going to go through about <laughs> which of these kings that are all listed here were bad and which ones were good. And, yeah. um, you know, we could do that, but it's, it'll be a little exhaustive, but a lot mm-hmm. of them were bad. <laughs> right. Most of them, most of them were. Yeah. Not a lot of, um, not good a guys. lot of awesome, awesome folks here, but yeah. some people who were, um, Asa was a great king. Uh, I think. And what does it mean by great king? They pursued the Lord. They were faithful to the. the, uh, Yeah. They followed God and tried to serve him. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's interesting because like the Bible will specifically mention, there are these things called high places, which were essentially shrines uh, you could worship idols at. And so some Kings uh, destroyed all the high places and, called the whole nation back to God. And the Bible specifically praises them for that. Uh, And other kings um, don't. 
they they just follow God, but they let the high places be. Uh-huh. And the Bible kind of says they followed God and did these great things for him, but they let these pockets of sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always take that as kind of a, a challenge in my own personal life. Like, are there high places that I'm leaving on a, I'm leaving unaddressed? Sure. Does yeah. That count, counts it's a good question. Guys. It's a good evaluation process. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, Asa, uh, he followed God. He, he even banned male shrine prostitutes. That's a whole another thing we're not going to get. We just don't have time to get into. But he followed God. Jehoram, uh, two generations later, evil king, did not follow the Lord. Uh, Uzziah, his son, does follow the Lord, lives rightly. Jotham does follow the Lord, but doesn't remove the high places. Ahaz does not follow the Lord. He's a bad apple. That's um, Ahaz is king. He marries Jezebel. This is the time of Elijah when fire is mm-hmm. called down from heaven. So that this guy is the king of Israel at that time, which is amazing that he's included in Jesus's genealogy. Hezekiah does rightly, and Hezekiah's got his whole story uh, in a couple different places in the Bible. I'd highly encourage you to read it. Um, but after the exile, most of these people uh, are unknown until we get to Joseph, except for Zerubbabel. Um, he heads back in the time of the king of Persia with Ezra and Nehemiah. And he is the, um, he helps reestablish the temple and reestablish Jerusalem. And so the, the genealogy of Jesus is super checkered. And um, it's also though this, like I said, the point is not the empirical of naming every person in the whole world. Mm-hmm. It's showing the kind of person that is literally part of God's family. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, the purpose of the genealogy. So um, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. it, it's really valuable for us to know. And this is a very common and normal way to start a teaching or an interaction mm-hmm. in the Jewish culture. And so it seems a little laborious to us, I think, mm-hmm. at least for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but once we are able to really understand and wrap our minds around that, it helps it helps us to be able to connect with the Lord and to connect mm-hmm. with his word differently. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it would be like if, you know, we have our own versions of this, like we'll talk about people, heroes like Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King, Luther King Jr. Or um, we'll talk about like great presidents like Lincoln or, mm-hmm. or Washington or, you know, whoever we have our own heroes. Um, right. But uh, and we have our own stories of great loss and fault, like the Watergate scandal, like 9-11, like the Vietnam War, like uh, so many of the tragedies in World Wars One and Two, like the mm-hmm. Civil War, right? We have our own ghosts and skeletons in the closet. And here, um, the scandal of what Matthew's doing is he is tracing both a line of heroes and skeletons and sh- leading it to the Messiah mm-hmm. and showing that the, the, the family of God is not this perfect family. Yeah. Yeah. It is full of some people who lived really well and some people who lived really bad and some people mm-hmm. who were totally unknown. And yet God was on the move bringing through yeah. each of these people's lives, all of, um, all of history to culminate in Jesus. So, yeah. Do you uh, have a final, do you have like a final thought or takeaway or, um, mm. encouragement for our listeners? Yeah, you and I are but one point in world history. We talked over a lot of stuff today, and yeah. we covered a couple thousand years in history. Um, 
and you and I are but one point, we're just one name in the genealogy. Mm-hmm. But despite all of the things going on, we see someone like Daniel live through three different regimes of governmental control and mm-hmm. see God use him mightily. The end of our country is not the end of the world. The end of our expectations is not the end of the world. The end of our hopes is not the end of the world mm-hmm. because God is up to something way bigger than that. And the question is not, what kind of life do I want? And then God, can you provide that for me? The question is, God, what are you doing now at our time in world history? How are you on the move today? Mm-hmm. And how can I join you in that? Because yeah. I don't want um, I don't want my life to be wasted like some of the lives in this genealogy. I want my That's life to, to matter for you. And um, every religion has to answer two questions to be a religion. What's the answer to the problem of evil and what's ultimately real? And -hmm. what's ultimately real is that God is the judge of the universe and he's the judge of reality. uh, And that it's his opinion on how I lived at the end of my life that counts. And I want to live it well in a way that honors him. And so that's my prayer for all of you that um, you would see yourself as just one leg in the race of human history, but God is doing something important in this leg and he is inviting you into that. That's great. That's great. Thanks, Alex. And thanks everybody for for tuning in here today and just walk away from this podcast and be curious about where God is on the move in your life and how can you join him. Thanks you guys for being here. Real quick, real quick. Four four things to do for that. Pray, ask God, where are you joining? Where are you working and how can I join you? Two, watch. The next thing that happens, ask, how does this relate to the prayer I just prayed? right? Just be watchful. Like, hmm, yeah. does this relate to the prayer I just prayed, Lord? I'm, I'm looking for you. Number three, um, once that, once you're able to kind of see, oh, God might be working here, ask clarifying questions, probing questions, like looking for what God is up to. And then four, listen to what he would want you to do in that. And then join him in his work. But that that's what I would encourage you to do. Um, that's great. Don't just, don't just wonder endlessly, but specifically pray, look for mm-hmm. the answer, ask clarifying questions, and then listen, okay, God, it looks like you're w- working here. What do I do in this? And watch what God does. It'll be amazing. There you go. That's awesome. There you go. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, everybody. See ya. We'll-